0: What is up, everybody? It is your girl Lauren Reed from the Lauren Reed Live Show on Water Ice Radio. How is everyone doing tonight? Jay, you're in the building. What's going on?
1: I'm doing good. I'm not I, like I can't complain. Today was a beautiful day. <laughs> First <laughs> time I've seen sun in like 80 days, but um, it's been good. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Yeah, that's the the snow thing is like next level. Like every I'm time I'm over around, it. I know every time you turn around is like. Another snowstorm coming. And yeah. like the other day it was only supposed to be like an inch and we got like five inches. And it's just like, all right, we've had enough to <laughs> get it. Right. The ground yeah, but, is right, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's winter. We're in the East Coast. So, you know, I get it.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially coming off of last year where we really didn't have a winter at all. It so snowed it's once just,
1: and it, it didn't even stick. So I'm like, all right, we're making up for lost time. <laughs> this is
0: what this is what's happening, right? But we can right. smell. Trying to smell summer, right? Spring and spring, fall and summer. So we'll we'll see what happens. But we are back here tonight um with another great episode of Lauren Relive, and we're really excited about our guest tonight because this is definitely a different wheelhouse for us, right? Yeah. So we are used to having artists on the show to kind of talk about, you know, how they got their start and the kind of music they do and. Talk about how the industry affects them, but we never really talk to anyone that's really like behind the scenes with everything.
1: Right. And this is the stuff I love. I love the the how to like how how things get made portion of everything. So I'm excited for this.
0: I figured that you would en- enjoy this because you really like like how it's built and put together and like the behind the scenes of it all, not really in the in the spotlight, right? Correct. Yeah. I really appreciate that, too, because we sit down and we talk about music all the time, and especially when we talk about, like, the production part of the, you know, the music process and, like, the beats and the sound and the quality, because there's so much more stuff that goes along with it,
1: right? It's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Producers are A&R. They're they're beat makers. They're composers. They're almost therapists sometimes so like and as you and as I watch different documentaries and just content on my favorite producers and their favorite producers you learn about all this stuff and what they go through in the studio and prepping for the artists they're about to work with
0: and then no one ever talks about who works with the producers like we never talk about the people who make you sound great right the engineer part of it we never talk about that it's almost like they're kind of like the ghost of like the, the whole process, but they really make the process go. So exactly. I thought it would be a great idea to talk to someone who is behind the scenes and who is that person that makes the sound quality what it is when you hear your favorite song.
1: Nice so, and crisp.
0: Nice and crisp. Make I mean, and they make the, the vocalist sound good too. Let's not forget that. But we'll let him talk. <laughs> we'll yes. let him talk about that uh, when he comes on. So without further ado. Um, this gentleman has 20 years in the game and being an, a music engineer. He has worked with some of your favorite artists. Some to mention is The Game, DJ Khaled, Christina Christina Milian, uh, Mary J. Blige. You name it. He's probably worked with them, um, and he has tons and tons and tons of credits. And he just released a book to all of you engineers. Oh, I can I, can, I did it. I did it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> to all those engineers out there. It's called Ear Hustling: The Studio Blueprint. So, without further ado, Mr. Robert Big Briz Brisbane, please come on to the show.
2: There he is. There, is. there it? Is <laughs> what's
0: up? What's up, Briz?
2: Oh, blessed to be here. Thank you guys for having me so much. I really appreciate
0: it. We are excited about this. Like we just said, me and Jay talk music all the time. Like we can do it like all day long, right? Um, Absolutely. We send, we send each other stuff throughout the day about. Just different stuff that's going on in, in the music industry.
1: We'd yeah, be, we we be, are- we be having debates like <laughs> through DMs <laughs> and arguments and be like, yo, people are wild. How do they say this is not a vocalist? This this is right. <laughs> I we live
0: and music. We talk about it all, like, you know, from current to back in the day, whatever it is. So this is um, a different topic for us because we're so used to having artists on the show. So before we jump into the book, um, let's just talk about you a little bit. So talk to us about how you started and got into the industry um, yeah. and why you chose the engineer route.
2: Okay, okay. So it's kind of funny because I first came in um, as a as an artist, an accidental artist, really. I was, um, you know, through high school, even before then, you know, everybody, I think raps and stuff like that, right? And then um, it wasn't until I was, uh, a little bit before college, right out of high school, I met a, um, a friend of mine uh, named Joe Hound. He had a, a production deal with a small independent label in Miami. And uh, I was actually living, him and uh, his cousin and I were roommates. And I, he was, I was just in there where, you know, everybody starts freestyling or whatever, whatever. And then one day he comes and he's like, yo, I got this beat, can you write, a, can you write something to it? And so I wrote it, uh, he heard it. He was like, all right, we're gonna go to the studio and we'll, you know, we'll record or whatever. And then I'm just, you know, at this point, you know, I've been to a couple of people's houses, you know, worked like been around turntables and like DJs like, you know, Miami's a real it's a real like DJ type of town like DJs is all over. Everybody's throwing parties in the park or whatever. So I've always had that kind of level of experience with like, you know, the, the music and technology part of it. But when we got to that studio, um, it was something else and the two executive producers were uh cool and dre who he had been going to high school with and so that's that's how we all kind of met this was um 98 maybe 99 and um so finera came in and started working on his project but i was so like enamored with the whole process and back then like you know it wasn't like what it is today with like uh computers and everything like that everything back then was tape machines like it was like you it would look like um they had something called ADATs or um, mm-hmm. DA88 tape machines where these were like- It's like a reel. Yeah, it's like a real Well, they had those, um those were first. Those are like reel to reel. Those are either half inch or um, two inch tapes that right. had multi-tracks on them. Right. When they graduated onto where these ADATs, they kind of look like um, VHS tapes. Ah, yeah, okay. And then from there, they had like the mini VHS tapes called uh, DA88s. And basically all these things do is just multi-tracks. Like it's just tracks after right. tracks track, track. So I was just totally blown away by this process because until then everything was recording onto like a tape deck or something like that or right. like a microphone, a tape deck. You had the instrumental playing on one side, you you know, doing anything thing on the other side. So this, or like, like, or a, like back in the day, the, the play school. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <playing>. exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was, pretty, so it was definitely... Um, like a whole nother world to me and the engineers back then, you know, we're, we're talking, like I said, this was like, this was post, this was like 1995 onward is when, you know, hip hop was started actually getting like major budgets. Right. So. Yes. Um, everything up until that point, the major studios and everything, they were all built based on what the the previous, um, top reigning, uh, I guess you could say the the, the, the chart topping genre was which was like rock metal stuff like that country like pop pop and pop even back then was like just you know it was it was it was the biggest thing it was like Michael Jackson Whitney Houston but you know the rock guys were like the real real yeah. studios right so right the, right right all the studios and everything were built from like you know in Miami we had like the Bee Gees and then like in Southwest Florida there was like Leonard Skinner, like swamp yeah. rock type thing. Right. So, but this is what these are the people that were building these studios. So when you think of right. like Criteria, Hit Factory, and stuff like that, they were all based around either funk, disco, rock, or something like that. What I'm trying to say is, black people weren't really running these studios, or right. like, or in them like that. I think there may have been one or two black engineers that we all knew about, uh, Jimmy Douglas, who worked with like Timberland and and and, and a whole slew of other people, and, and like Teddy Riley's engineers. But, you know, they didn't own the studio. So the engineers that were in the room, usually are the guys mixing the records with these old rock guys. And they're sitting here mixing rap and everything. And you kind of just got the air of it not being, because it wasn't their music. It would, there you yeah,
1: you got to have a different ear for it.
2: Exactly. There was a disconnect from it. And, you know, right. me, I'm, I was always an inquisitive type of person. I was always kind of tech savvy. So I'd be asking a whole lot of questions and I could tell I was getting on these guys' nerves. Sure. So <laughs> it wasn't until I, um, a friend of mine was going to UCF in Orlando that I ended up uh, going out there to visit him. And the I, I really I, I really went out there chasing a girl who actually turned out to be 20 years later, fast forward, my wife. But uh, we, <laughs> know, we, we met in Orlando. I ended up staying in Orlando because my friend had just started going to UCF there and everything like that. And I wasn't really doing too much. And uh that's how I kind of came across full Sail. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, because some some people in, in his dorm had heard the music that we were making in Miami. He was like, Oh, you guys should come you should come to my school because my school yeah. has like a studio in it. And I was like right. hey. And really it was maybe they'll let you use it. <laughs> right. Like
1: like full like full is actually a college for like engineering yeah. and sound oh, yeah. and all yeah. that stuff.
2: It's like sound, film. He was going for film. He was in there for film, digital media, computer animation. It's a multimedia school. And so when I went on a tour and they were like, you guys show me how to do this. I was like, well, then sign me up. You know what I mean? I ended up just going there. And because I already had a little bit of experience, I I pretty much um, I was successful with like the, the, the level of education. It's almost like I knew what questions I wanted answers to. And it just like it just it just became part of me. So that by the time I got back home to Miami when I graduated and got back home to Miami, Cool and Dre had already started really making their names and in, in, right. the, in, in the in the producing world. And it kind of right. all just lined up that way. So they were like, "Oh, Briz is back, Briz. You with the full sale, Won't you start recording some of the artists that were you know we want to we want to work with?" Or you know, I actually started by um, assisting at Cool's house, and wow. then. Um, You know, he had built a studio in his garage and then from there, it just graduated. We ended up um, getting a deal and a publishing deal and a production deal and uh, a uh, joint venture. Around this time, this is what, like 2000s? 2000, 2001. Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. um, from there, it was just making beats every day. Um, Two, three, four beats a day. Me dumping those beats, like recording all those beats. Uh, and then from there, like tracking them out and then putting them on beat CDs and sending out beat CDs all over the place. Sure. Um, meanwhile, they had like a label deal. So they had a few artists that they were signing. And I was basically the only person that was in there recording. I mean, they're off traveling the country, selling music, working with other artists. So it really gave me a chance to like kind of hone my craft as like a boot camp almost. Um, and then once, once they got like a publishing deal, then we started getting... Studio time with like major artists all over the all over the globe, and um, that then hated to love it came out, and um, New York, New York came out, and then hated to love it, and then all these like they it was like a little bit of a run, and you know once you get back then once you got like a number one record, it was off to the races like so everybody wants to work everybody right the phone is ringing off the hook exactly (laughs) exactly and that was a beautiful time too
1: I remember that era like it was yesterday
2: yeah definitely No, no, no. no no go ahead. No, it definitely was a time when um, I feel like we just really, you know, once you get into that stride and that era, that era was good because, you know, there was like the 50 cents, you know what I mean? It was like, it was like a changing of the guard going into this, into, into where we are today. You know, we went from like having the biggies and the pox and then there was like a, it was like a a, a space and time and then J and then M and that kind of, it, it stayed that way for a while. And then like, when we were I'll never forget, when we were in the studio cooking up beats and I think they might have been making like hated the beat for hated to love it. We were had a TV in there and Country Grammar.
1: I was just gonna say Nelly. Nelly was huge on that side.
2: Country grammar was was like it. And it was like a new sound and we were just looking at the TV like it was good because everybody was kind of doing their thing, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, yeah, so, for sure so um so it was like everybody wasn't trying to chase the same sound almost i hate to say but that's kind of what's going on today it's a little bit different because Mm -hmm. everybody had their own little region everybody had their own sound and now it's you know it's a little bit different but um it was definitely like we felt comfortable doing our own thing like these these guys and i I gotta give them i gotta get my hats off to them because these guys were producing records for people all over the country using samples and stuff like that that when chopping up samples in ways that the rest of the culture wasn't really on yet you know what i mean when you listen mm-hmm. back to like when you listen back to the soul records and how they were chopping it up it wasn't like that aggressive new york sound like a just blaze you know what i mean and it wasn't that that funk that that slap funk that you got like on the west, west coast those, you know right? what i mean and it, and it wasn't it was still it was sampled um, so it wasn't that that down south Texas Houston sound, it was really Miami style because Miami, our parties were basically playing records and then playing them fast and yes. adding and adding the influence that we had from like the Luther Campbells and the JT right. Moneys, you know what I mean? So 95 South and 69 boys. <laughs> right, right. So we were adding that slap and that bass that we got right. from like DJ Uncle Al and Magic Mike and all that. We um, were adding that to the to I grew, the I grew up listening, I grew up listening to DJ Laz. DJ okay. Lashley. Yeah. Yeah. That. Power that big, yeah. Big that, big booty,
1: that booty. popping stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was that,
2: He was. He was South Florida's like you know if you think of Hot ninety seven, um and Funk Flex DJ Laz was the Latino Funk Flex. Yes. Of of my. He was huge. And he, he was. And huge. He ran it and he ran. Yeah. It. He, you know what I mean? Before the Calhouns came in, he was. Yes. That was ninety six. Um, Power ninety six was it? Yeah. So, I, um,
1: yeah. Yeah. That he he was that dude for sure.
2: So we, I mean, it was pretty cool to have that kind of influence, and then come up with like people like Pitbull and Ross. All of these people used to come and record in Cool's house. You know what I mean? Like, or wow. to come and get. You know what I mean? And to see it kind of go from there, and then um, to what they do now. Yeah, to building a relationship with like the Pitbulls, the Khaleds, the Ross. You know what I mean? It's just, it's 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 kind of beautiful to see like the legacy that was left. You know what I mean?
0: So how long was the span of time where you kind of like started working um, with them up until pretty much where you are now? Like how long was that run?
2: Um, it was about a good 10 to 15 years. So around 2000, um, I would say like around 2015 was when I, I, um, I kind of hit a place where I was, um, I guess you could say like, you know, in the beginning it was all passion, right? It was all uh, uh, new, and
0: mm-hmm.
2: it wasn't work, right? And then there was a space in time when it started almost feeling like work, and I was, you know, of course, you know, with the labels and everything, and the industry kind of changing, and it went from me being like ninety percent working with record labels, and then budgets drying up because of digital, digital, and people not knowing how to monetize that, right? Um, into then it was like 90% you know labels and 10% independence to all of a sudden now is 90% independence and 10% labels. Um, right. and I always tell people this that the one thing I kind of feel was um what the labels were able to do back then, um, if for good and for bad, was uh curate. I think that they mm. curated talent and you kind of got where if something came out of one label, it was, a, it was a sound, it was a direction. Think of like right. how Motown and everything. Um, yes. Think about how like Motown had a sound, right? Like, yeah. because they were bringing people in and cultivating that that sound. Whereas once they started breaking away from that and started just giving independence, whether it was like publishing deals or partnership deals and getting their hands off of it, um, what that allowed them to do was not, they didn't, they were no longer curating it. So everything was coming in and you, it was only the things that would break through this wild, wild west of digital music that um, would start to like kind of climb. And because it was such a wild, wild west, everybody started following whatever trajectories were going on. I don't think people right. give like Soldier Boy as much credit as he deserves, you know what I mean? You say Listen, Jay says this
1: all the time.
2: I say this
1: all the time. Say what you want about Soldier Boy, but he really broke the mold hey, when it comes guys, to putting out his music and, and really promoted himself and using platforms like MySpace at the time, ringtones, to get his music out there.
2: Do you guys remember, Um, I don't probably don't, there was a, a BET Awards. It might have been a Hip Hop Awards or BET Awards. And this was like the year of Soldier Boy. And they had KRS won kind of walk in the carpet and somebody interviewed KRS-One and was like, KRS-One, what do you think of this new ringtone rap? And KRS-One was like, yo, did you hear what she just said? She said ringtone rap. She said, watch what you give names to because it becomes a thing. Right. And it really did from ringtone rap and people were actually making millions of dollars making Over a song for, for a ringtone yeah. to, to where yeah, we I are now, that- yeah where now we are we're streaming like everything is nobody when's the last time you guys bought a physical cd or bought like there's no need for it right if i do
1: it's like at a thrift store or something it's not like a new album so well, i want i'm glad you brought that up because i wanted to talk about like your you you were there from the times of studios and the, the relevance of a studio uh ANRs curating an artist putting mm-hmm. the full the full package together and then you know Napster and streaming was a bad thing, and, and, and the music industry didn't know how to navigate that. And then you have Apple Music who was like, no, this is how you do it. And then you have Jimmy Iovine being like, yeah, no, he's right. right <laughs> and then right. you saw the shift to the streaming, and now streaming is yeah. everything. What yeah. do you think are like, I guess the, the, the best thing to come from the stream, where we're at right now as far as streaming? What's the best thing that, 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 that's happened um, for artists?
2: I think the best thing I could say that's happened is, um, there. I think it takes a it takes a level of the politics out of it. You know, like I said, for good or bad, mm. the label the labels were curating, but they were also like gatekeepers. Like you Very wouldn't true. like the, you only got people like Wu Tang and everything like that when they broke through, and labels didn't have a choice but to put money behind it because the streets were calling for it. Yeah, Um, but now any kid with a microphone and um, fruity loops and a beat machine, you know, if the talent is still there, they can create something that resonates with with kids in a way. And they don't need. They don't need these labels anymore. So. I remember prodigy said once, if you want to be famous, sign a record deal, if you want to be rich be independent Mm. and um it I think that even today it still kind of holds true like when you look at artists like Russ right who um put out I don't know how many albums he put out before people actually knew who he was it might have been 10 albums that he put out before people knew who he was and then labels and then when it was time for like he grabbed that attention he never signed with a deal he never signed a deal so that just made that now that he's getting that attention and people are now caught on to like people like russ and they go back through their catalog and they're streaming all these old albums because he owns 100 of it he is i mean he's killing the game like he like people like that are killing the game now when you think of of that type of, of of mindset where you're you're running a marathon where you're saying to yourself yeah I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to find this instant thing because it's still possible. Like every, if you put out a TikTok video right now and it goes viral, there are going to be people knocking at your door. Like, Hey, we want to help you. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. really what they're saying is, Hey, we want to bring you into this, this, this building so that you can generate capital for everybody else that's in this building. Right. And, um, So I think right now we're in a great space because of the level of getting rid of those gatekeepers and being people being able to monetize their own thing, Um, you know, and I mean, at the end of the day, like, I may not like what my 11 year old son likes, but my mom didn't like what I was, what I was listening to, you know what I mean? So I can't judge what takes off and what doesn't. I think what was a complex of somebody just put out this article that said that the 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 hottest artists to uh, going into 2021, and they were all people who had hits on TikTok. Right, and it's it's crazy. Like now they're playing the songs on the radios, and I don't know the song until the the viral TikTok part comes out. Right, you know, and it's like, oh, Corvette, Corvette. Oh, that's
1: it. That. Oh, that's, or or you, oh, you may know that. the song, but you don't know the artist. Like, right, right, yeah, right, for
2: sure. Parallels to it. Yeah. It's such a great wow. disconnect. Please.
1: So um
0: let's transition into so that was about a, a good 10 year, maybe a twelve year span that you were doing it. And you said you kind of like it started to become work and not passion. And we all right. kind of can relate to that, right? You first start doing something that you really love and then you're like, Oh my god, I'm I'm doing this and this is starting to be more of a job than anything. So you kind of stopped, but you never lost your passion for music, correct? Um right. And here we are. And you at some point decided that you were gonna write a book. So talk <laughs> to me a little bit about saying like because you were done. You were done. And then like you woke up one day and said, I'm gonna write a book about it. Like how did that happen?
2: Um, what happened was like I think everything ebbs and flows, right? Everything kind of goes through this roller coaster ride. And I get these highs and these lows. Like I get a high when I hear something on the radio that's that's crazy and it's inspiring, right? Like
1: Right.
2: But I was hearing a record on the radio. Um, This was maybe about four years ago. I was hearing a record on the radio that I heard the producer's name or the the tag on it. I was like, oh, I know those producers. And the record was huge. You know what I mean? I I mean, it was, um, I can't even think of it now. It was a Wale record. And I was like, oh, shoot, they produced something for Wale. And it just so happens that one of the producers texted me and was like, Bro, we get we we got a top ten record on the hot, or on on the Hot 100 R&B, and we really owe it all to you. And the reason why he said that was because during that whole 10, 15 year time, I would come across interns, I would come across assistants, I would come across new producers, and I would always you know give them whatever gems you know I had. Like I was always very transparent with if I learned something, I want to show you. You know what I mean? And there were these two producers I really kind of I I taught them how to dump their beats. I taught them like how to mix it a little bit and basically how to sequence and everything like that. And they took the ball with that and ran with it. And fast forward 10 years, they ended up were now getting placements with major artists. And they wanted to say that that wasn't, they wouldn't have been able to do any of that without me. And I did it all for nothing. And it was like the biggest reward in the world to me. Like, it just made me start thinking about all these other people that I kind of just followed along over the years. Like I remember there was a kid, he was asking me, should he go to full sale? And the funny thing, he was asking me this at um, circle house studios. It was one of like, it's one of the, it's one of the best, it's one of the best studios in Miami, if not the best studio in Miami. But um, I was like, so you're not an engineer, you're not a assistant or anything like that. How are you here? in the hmm. studio right now talking to me he was like well my mom those are owners i'm kind of just like you know hanging out or whatever and i was like well bro i mean if you're here you might as well just get an internship here skip the full sale route and you know because full sales are expensive like any of those yeah. recording programs are super expensive and i was like you're already in the door like you might right. as well just use the relationship that you have because this business is all relationships into doing what you're doing and he did you know what i mean and it was it's and then from there he went from being an intern to an assistant to engineering his own sessions to actually getting hired by another studio in on miami beach to be their studio manager slash chief engineer so to like watch that growth and progression happen for somebody that it all kind of started with you know him saying to me like bro thank you so much like you know i'm here because of you you know what i mean like it's it, it's such a crazy reward that I started to un, like figure out where like I, what I, what was missing from me. what was missing from me wasn't like a check or the money. Um, what was missing was actually like giving somebody something, giving somebody something that could help them find their own dreams and their own passions. and that's when I decided that I would um, start you know teaching or teaching audio. And um, I wanted to get my thoughts across in a way that was once presented to me, right? From like a uh, full sale, like that, that formal type of education. But at the same time, it was the mentors and all the studio engineers and studio managers that helped me along in a process that really gave me, like helped me create my own formula, my own workflow. So that's why I wrote, I, I just started putting all my ideas on paper and I just wanted to make it in a way that was kind of straightforward that would give a young me, somebody like a 20-year-old me, like um the confidence, give game. Give them the game and the confidence to just hit the ground running and go. So yeah. So this is like my, a
0: this is almost like a textbook, if you if if you can say, like you even start like with the uh the equipment, the sound, your mic, the you have like lesson two is gear. So you're talking about microphones, you're talking about the EQ, the dynamic. This is kind of like a, almost like a how to guide almost if you, if you want to say, right. Um, Almost like you can kind of skip the full cell part and kind of read the book. Would you say that?
2: <laughs> um, that, I will look, that's, I don't think that, you know, what I try to do is if, Full sale was something that you were interested in doing. Like, I went to school, I think my class, the class I went to started out with, like, 30, 45 kids in it. And by mm-hmm. the end of it, by the end of the two years that I was there, it dwindled down to 15. Yeah. And out of those 15, I would think that, let me see, with the cats that I graduated with, Um, out of those 15, maybe five went on to actually, like, what, like, the 15 all tried to go do it but only five stuck with it and the first okay. the first 85 or the first the first 85% of the kids that were in that class they dumped it or didn't really have an interest in it because they didn't know what they were getting into so what i wanted to do was at least give you a taste give you the basic information the basics that I, that you can get the facts terminology um what it is that you'll what you're gonna in this program, this 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 profession, this craft that you're gonna go into, so that you could decide for yourself whether it's something that you wanna like you wanna to do. You know what I mean? And if you do want to do it, well I've given you I've given you basically a blueprint to 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 how we how it went from A to Z, like how sound was how what sound is, what your ears are doing to what are the different parameters, whether it's frequency, how that frequency gets in through the gear that we're using, how we wire and connect that gear. Um, And in there a little bit of history, like we used to use a tape machine. Now we use computers. This is how it went from being tape machine to computers. Um, So I wanted to give you that much, that way that you can easily say, well, number one, I could go and use this information to if I wanted to just skip paying the 30, 40, 50 grand that it is now, and then put that, put that into building my own, then I have a good foundation in which I could do that. And now that I have all this information, if a person just takes about four weeks and goes through that book, which isn't big, it's like a hundred pages. But if they take about four weeks to go through that book, they will then have the questions that they would know what questions to ask. So they would then be able to I mean, because the internet's full of information, right? Mm-hmm. So like they could easily now say, and but you can also, because it's full of information, you could go down this rabbit hole, like, and yeah, and you kind of forget where you what you first were looking for in the first place. Right. So, but if you at least know enough about it to have the right questions, like, okay, now I understand what a compressor is, what these knobs do, how can I get my sound to do this? And then you can find you can easily find that information, you know what I mean? So I really wanted to do that for somebody, give them an opportunity to skip spending their money or their parents' money or taking out these student loans when Mm -hmm. the world is the world is full of information now. So um, I'm hopefully that that's how it's received. Hopefully, like the two people that get it, (laughs) the two people that get it, hopefully they take it. It'll be more than two people (laughs) that will
0: get it. I'm sure. so your online presence is big. Um, that was definitely something that I saw that you started out doing. Um, and one of the things that I noticed that you did that was dope was um, you, it was it was like you listen past the artist, right? Most people when they listen to a song, they're just trying to hear how the artist sounds and what the um, and can they really sing or can they really rap, right? So a lot of your videos were very intentional about talking about the quality of the sound of the track and what the engineer actually does. Talk a little bit about why you believe that the engineer is never really talked about through this process of making a song. We always talk about the artist, of course, um, and then we talk about the producer because they made the beat per se, but we never talk about the person who makes it sound right. And so why do you think the engineer is lost in that process?
2: Um, I think a lot of it comes down to a lot of engineers, in my experience, um, are, our our listeners. You know, number one, I think like a lot of technical people and people who are in the technical support roles, whether it's TV, film, audio, whatever it is, like you've got, if, if you're in a room, right. And it's a, it's a, it's a creative space, right. You've got the person that, um, is kind of, orchestrating everything right like the producer right you've got the talent right the artist who I guess you could consider like the product but if everybody in here has been in any kind of business any kind of business you know that you also need the marketing person you also need the person that that is the technical person whether it's a website or wherever you need that person who's going to code for you or you need that person that knows how to print like if, you, if if you're going into like a t-shirt business or something like you need those t- those type of people in order to make the whole machine work right And right. engineers I kind of feel are like because it's the most technical and to be honest with you, my wife will tell you like she's been on, on hundreds of sessions with me where everybody else is in that creative space so they're like over in their over pool side, drinking them um, getting in that zone drinking mimosas and just like, you know, living that rock star lifestyle while the engineer is over in the corner sweating, putting everything together that putting translating all of the all of that creativity that's in the air into something that is like tangible, something that's a product. So they're usually so busy that they're often forgotten about. Um, but if you think about like a director, right? Everybody knows who like a Zack Snyder is or who like a Stephen King is, right? But when you're watching that movie, you're watching the direction of that movie, you're watching the editing and everything like that, but you're not thinking about the cinematographer who picked out the color, right? Or who picked out those angles just right how the director wanted it. You're not thinking about the movie editor who actually makes or breaks the movie. Like, if you see right now, like, I think they're about to do it with Justice League, right? Now you're going to get the Snyder version of what that movie would be like, so the people that hated Justice League may see it totally different through Snyder's editing, you know what I mean? So those technical people are always kind of like bypassed, you know what I mean?
1: Is it also fair fair to say uh, because the the engineers, they're not necessarily on the record. Like, you have the artists who, you know, obviously they're doing their thing, singing, rap, or whatever, but also you have like a producer tag that's like Jalil Beats or, you know, Timbaland Mm -hmm. or someone who's heavy on the record but then you also have the one that's mixing who's probably the most important part that's probably why you don't really know what they do or when you look at the the back of a cd case or whatever and you read what is this
2: that's probably one of the
1: reasons right like they're not on the record
2: i mean you got to give jay-z props for shouting out guru the way he did right nobody really knew what the hell an engineer was until he said guru play the beat guru turn up in the headphones and then it's like oh if if jay-z's talking about this person then that might be something I want to do, like you know what I mean, which is great. Like, I love it.
0: Listen, I'm trying to tell you, like, I've been around enough music in my life to know listen to a raw edit of a song before its final mix down, and, and you'll know the importance <laughs> of an engineer. Like, shit be trash.
1: Maybe <laughs> <laughs> sound crazy. Let's
0: uh, keep it out. Let's but, just keep it a
1: 100 like, keep it a hundred. Like, I
0: mean, you also. Go ahead. Gary. I'm sorry.
1: No, I was, I was just gonna say like I, I listen. I watch a lot of documentaries on music, and yeah. um, I don't know. I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen this, but uh, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, he did a, a documentary called uh, Sound City, and it was basically on Sound City uh, Studios, and L- basically it did a whole sure, documentary on Sound City Studios in LA, mm-hmm. and like some of the most important you know records in pop rock, whatever history came from that little shitty studio. but like a lot of the sound engineers you know they were guys that were just there like cleaning up shit and then they would just stay after hours so i feel like the sound engineer position is a is a position where uh you kind of have to want to do it yeah put in those hours you don't necessarily go to school for it but if you're around the studio every day and you're learning what the producers do is what the artists do then you're like oh i know how this pulls the sound or i know how the drums in this room is gonna sound against the drums in the room in Studio yeah. B or whatever. Like it's a lot of. I feel like it's a lot of that too.
2: It's definitely something where it's like, it's it's an egoless type of role. And if and if you let the ego, if you let the the glitz and the glamour and the accolades of the talent and the producers that's in the room, if you let that get to you, um, it will ha- it can make like. I've been and I've gone to studios where engineers um, aren't treated. See, some people may say like I had I had a, a, because of the relationships I had, I had a little bit of an easier route because, you know, I was able to be in the rooms with people that, you know, people who had been interning or something for how many ever years that they were. Didn't like hadn't gotten the opportunity to be in. So I would say half of that stuff is based on, like, relationships. But I had to work my ass off. Like, I still had it. like, when I mean the thousands and thousands of hours that I put into the room with every artist that you could think of, every different personality type, you have to be egoless because the egos, they, they're, that is, I mean, They outweigh
1: everybody uh, else.
2: Like, if you think artists and stuff like that, are like divas, like, some of these producers will... Throw your head like, especially back then when budgets were huge. Like, yes, when budgets were when artists had like a million dollar budget, they would, you know, get the best of the best. And these guys have writers, you like, we need to have blue MMs over here, or these candles need to be lit just right. I'm not gonna call out any producers' names, but there was one producer that I know that number one had, I couldn't believe we were in a session a couple doors down but this producer had to have the whole room no fluorescent lights it had to be all candlelight and boy had doves like he needed he needed doves and like the bird like the birds like the birds and the studio like knowing this was like like the <laughs> studio like got these doves, like, you know, you know you hire doves, like, you get some doves for your wedding or whatever, whatever. Yeah. This, yeah. Guy, had have, this guy had to have the doves just ready, just, like, in, in the in the cage, like, when he he felt that emotion hit him. To be to free the To free the doves, Yeah,
0: right? he's trying to figure out who it is. I know. Like yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to be like, who's the <laughs> but I, I'll say this. So, here's the funny thing, right? The funny part <laughs> of the story was, that I don't know if the producer knows this, But the doves that were there waiting for him were the second set of doves because the studio (laughs) it was like they had a like a studio like a dog that would you know when it's like when the studio is empty, like just a it was like a guard dog that they would let out at night or whatever. Yeah. They got the doves the night before and the dog got in the cage and and fucked them (laughs) all up.
0: But so They had to go and get more dubs. <laughs> they had to go get
2: more dubs. Yo. The four wow. What? <laughs> yeah, but that's what I'm trying to say about like the egos. Like, they're like it could be so crazy. It's so many crazy. Yeah. Like, hey, if you want some real studio stories, talk to the engineer. They will tell you all of the like. I've I been believe to studios, it. Oh, how do man, you so,
0: work? How do you work in a room with no light, with all just all candles, like, and you're trying to record them?
2: You figure it out, right? It. That's how many candles had to be in there. <laughs> like you have, like that's how many candles had to be in there. And then when the producer leaves, like you know, because he's got to go out, you know, he's got to walk around the premises, he's got to catch that vibe. You know, you turn on your little light. You know what I mean? And yeah. Then you just have the assistant or whatever standing over there. Say, hey, when he's about to come back, you'll know, just, you know, you can kill switch. it or whatever. You know. So what this mean? is not the this and this is the thing. This is not the the artist. This is just the no, producer. no, no, no. This is just a producer. Some of the artists can get they get their own little way, but. I'm more comfortable oh. I, at this point, and, and at that point in my career, I had seen everything, and I didn't. <laughs> and so, like, I then would then like learn how to like make it a cohesive relationship based okay. on mm. like being able to like work like like work for certain. Make as artists are tricky. Well, as long as you make an artist feel comfortable, yeah, then they don't care about anything else. Um. So tell it's us. About, if
0: you, oh, no, go ahead. No, you no, finish No, no. I going
2: to uh, ask the question. Ask the question. <laughs> so if you
0: can tell us, no, seriously, if you can tell us, because we never want to, we never ask compromising questions here. We don't mm. do that, right? But if you can tell us. Um, and you remember what? what who was one of the, your most favorite artists to work with? Like that? It was like always like a vibe, and you always easy to work with. Working with them, easy to work with.
2: Oh man, so.
0: That yeah, we wouldn't think that you that it would be an easy person to work with. <laughs> um
2: most, okay, so I'll play it like this. Whoever you think is probably difficult to work with is difficult to work with. Okay. okay. People, um, but there are two people that come to mind that that maybe some people would be intimidated thinking that something would happen. Uh, one would be uh um Keisha Cole, right? you, you know, there's this. There's this energy out there that maybe she's like, you know, difficult in some kind of ways, but she's definitely one of the most easy to talk to, like easygoing person. You know what I mean? Um the other, I would say, uh, and probably my favorite, and I consider him like like a brother, and he's actually my spades partner is Fat Joe. Um Wow. Yeah. Cause you know, you've got the Terra Squad, so you got you got boons all yes. the facility, like oh, all geez. times like yes. i mean i gotta say like i think i probably would have been a little bit more nervous if big pun was around because i heard some i heard some trust me i've heard some some terror squad stories yeah but um but crack himself is so personable so like easy to work with because he just wants to get in do what he gotta do and get out but there's been so many like and then favorites is like um, crack is definitely one of my favorites. Um, something that was 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 truly humbling for me, and what I was like, I felt a blessing to to, to be involved with was, uh, I think maybe it was like L.O. Cool J's last album. Um, okay, and it was because,
1: uh, I mean, he's a pioneer. Like he's been doing, he's been that, and, for a long
2: time. I mean, to to hear somebody who you've grown up hearing, yeah. and then be in the room with them. And um, it was, it was an experience that I'll never forget. And it was probably one of the biggest lessons I learned was. So I was working on it, working on this project, working on this project. And then he, he said something to me, like after recording, he said, yeah, take that and do this and do that. And when I hit play, I had already done it. And he was like, Oh, he was like, yo, you're fast. Like you're good. And in that moment right there, instead of me saying, of course, you know, I was like, Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. But really, what I was supposed to say was, um, yeah, I am. You should probably have me work on the rest of your music for right. the rest of your life. You know what right. I mean? Right. Instead of like doing that, what I kind of grew up and what we all grew up, you know, we're all always taught be humble, be this, be right. that. Being humble and being confident are two different things. So if anybody's hearing me out on this, just understand one of the biggest lessons I learned was not um, self-promoting myself. Um, at the right time
0: yeah
2: you know what I mean so, so that was a go ahead Laura no I'm sorry I don't want to cut you I want
0: you to finish that thought yeah no finish the
2: thought oh so basically that was definitely um you know a, a lesson that I learned that I think a lot of greats do like when you hear Khaled say we the best right uh I'll never forget um right before he started putting out his own music um, people, you know, he was already, like, producing some records. Like, he's, like, a real producer. I know a lot of people don't think he is, but he's, like, a real producer. Like, he can make a beat. you know what I mean? Um, and he has to be. He was one of the he's probably the best DJ, like, the best DJ party that I've ever been to is a uh-huh. DJ Khaled party. So, um, skilled in, in, in all of that. Um, but I remember when he was in a room of people telling them, y'all, I'm gonna put out an album. Like, I'm gonna put out, like, a, like, you know, At the time, there was like DJ drama, and he was putting out these drama mixtapes and everything. He's like, "Yo, I'm going to put out." (laughs) Exactly, but he was like, "You know, I'm going to put out. You know, I'm going to put mine out." And um, there was some skepticism in the room. Really, I would never (laughs) forget it. I would. That must have been a long time ago. (laughs) It was before his first mixtape. It was before the um the We the Best. We we the best. We we the best number one. Um, and it's almost as if nobody really like. Not nobody, but there was some skepticism in the room. And right. He was like, "Watch, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you." And Man. it was, ever since then, he had that. I mean, he's he, the Khaled you see is Khaled. There is right. no doubt about it. Like whether he's in his house, I've worked with him in his house. I've worked with him at other studios. Seeing, I heard him on the radio. I mean, I've known DJ Khaled since like 1996. That is him, 100. Yeah. And what I, I what I it kind of for some people it's off-putting right it's like oh that's like a lot you know it's all ego it's all this it's all that but in truth what it is is he's speaking his life into existence he is right manifestation he's personifying exactly who he is and the energy that's around him he doesn't let it infiltrate him and so that is definitely like when I learned like watching that and then people always say, you know, I can't believe, you know, it's pretty ego to say that we the best doesn't realize that when you look at when you look at the the Arabic word for God. Right. If you look at it clearly, it looks it's a W. Right. And it's it, it's a it's a W in the eye. But, you know, if you look at it, it, it's we. You know what I mean? So what he's really trying to say to people is God's the best without giving that away right. in a way that is. You know, so it, it has all this different meaning to it, but what people see on the surface, what people see on the internet, and what I always learned was masses of the asses. Like, I'll never go with what just, you know, the the, the trolls may go with, you know what I mean? But when you when you think about a person and you, you hear that type of stuff, you then see things differently. And So you don't see things as being this grandiose uh, pers- uh, persona that's not real. Like, right. that is really that person He's never done or hurt anybody. And Yeah, people, he just know, worked hard. He just worked hard, harder than everybody. So,
1: I feel like I feel like it's a lot. A lot of artists, especially in like the South, you think about Atlanta, like uh, Ludacris when he started Chris Leva Love or um, yeah. even uh, Lil Jon. Like yeah. they all started a radio, humble beginnings, throwing parties, and then they made a, a name for themselves. But they were really that person, like that. Yeah. That was them, and you know, you're going to have those people who are going to be like skeptical or kind of just shitting on them. But then when they really pop off, they want to be the ones to be like, yo, I was there with him when he said it or whatever. But it's like, <laughs> like, come on, man. But it's it's kind of like, you can even go back to Jimmy Iovine. Like Jimmy Iovine was at the right place at the right time when they needed a sound engineer for yeah. John Lennon's debut album. You know, he was like, Yo, it's on Easter. Nobody else is available. Can you come? He was like, "Yeah, I come." Yeah. They didn't tell him who it was. It was John Lennon. Yeah. That was his first thing that he ever sound like mixed on. Right. So you yeah, got to be ready for that stuff.
2: Absolutely, Bruce Springsteen, like another one that he is just like nobody. He worked with Bruce Springsteen before everybody knew who Bruce Springsteen was. Like right, Stevie, Stevie Nicks, like all these crazy people that, you know, he was just in the in, 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 like you said, in the right. And then he kind of stuck it out. Really, what right. happened? He wanted to quit. Like, yes. they were like you better bring your ass back to the studio because artists are are there a lot and yeah, you know man. especially bruce springsteen they they would go over
1: sounds thousands and thousands of times before they even record a song and then they record yeah. the song thousands and thousands of times to the point where the tape yeah. is worn out and this is tape this is real real yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's it's crazy like you got to have that that relentless and resilience to to yeah, be exactly. in this business exactly Super Super
0: so before we wrap up, there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on. So um, also, what you do a lot online is you give your ear hustling tips, um, and it's some stuff that you don't even see in the book. So are you where do you get those tips from, or and why do you think those the certain ones that you bring out are important?
2: Um. So you before the before you were talking about my uh, I called it listening to the best series where I really wanted to give people that perspective from. What I hear as if I was in that room be experiencing that, you know, an engineer would be doing right and also wanted to give engineers their flowers because you were mentioning how, you know, a lot of they're like the unsung heroes of the, of the room right. Um, so I definitely wanted to highlight and give people that exposure to what you know is something different. Um, and same thing with air hustling tips I think about. Um, Maybe mistakes that I made or things that I learned along the way in my career that um, may get overlooked or somebody may not think about it from that perspective. And I always wanted to give, um, you know, people um, and the air hustling tips are for people who are really starting to embark on that air hustling journey, as I like to call it, like that journey of, you know, being, they say the smartest guy in the room is the one that's listening the most. Right. So I wanted to give engineers a perspective or somebody who's working or even thinking about music, a perspective on how to look at something that is almost like an unspoken thing, right? Like, I think I I remember one of the ones that I did that um, I got a little bit of critique for was, you know, how do you charge? You know, how are you charging your clients? Because it's almost like an unspoken thing, especially in our culture, because you can almost still say that we, we learned everything by doing there wasn't like a there wasn't a trickle down of information for us like there was a huge disconnect nobody respected our music as far as like this hip-hop culture goes nobody respected it and we all just learned and mastered it by doing but there were some things that get missed right like it wasn't if it wasn't for a studio manager telling me what other engineers are charging that and and help me build up my own price structure, then mm. I, who knows where I would be in there, right? So when I see engineers doing things like, and it's to give other people like like, and there's no real union for us, you know what I mean? Because everybody's so independent. Um, there are unions out there, like in LA, They're and still New providing
0: York. a service though.
2: Exactly, exactly. But <laughs> think about it, and you have to think about it. Like I, I try to give them an idea of. You have to, and I really learned that. One of my teachers asked that question when I was at Full Sail. He was like, and he wasn't even like, he was a sound reinforcement team. He was teaching us like how to wire things, like how to like how to solder, what circuits are, what resistors are, right? Like, so he was teaching us like super technical stuff, but he was also one of the guys who had the early patent on the beat, like the vibrators that's in beepers. Hmm. So his mentality was, you know. Oh yeah, you can learn how to do this and charge $45 an hour to do this. Or you can learn how to like you can learn how to calibrate a tape machine and charge $150 an hour. Like he was giving us that kind of real conversation that when we got out, you know, we kind of got an idea as to what to charge people. And if you don't go through that process or have those people, how would you know that? So that's that's what those are the type of things I use when I'm trying to put out like tips for people. Like, you know, think about how much you're gonna charge somebody or. Think about like when they're when they're when they're they're off creating or they're off writing, like that's not playtime for you. That's the time for you to get so busy and get your game so tight that when they come back in the room, like you're not the you're not the bottleneck, you're not the one holding up everything, right? Like if you right. get all that stuff down, then you become you become one of the greats, you become one of the masters. And if I had that information from day one, who knows, like, you know. How many times I may have been on stage thanking everybody for right <laughs> for everything. So no, um, but you know. That. So, but
0: I'm sure you appreciate the process and where you are, and
2: oh, now absolutely. the book
0: and everything. So, who should get this book and why, and where can they get it?
2: Sure. So, um, if you are interested in audio engineering if you are interested in any kind of aspects as it comes to sound, um, this is a great book for you. Um, And even doesn't matter what level or experience you're in, um, you can be somebody who has been doing it for 10 years, um, you can still get something out of it. It can still be a good reference point for you. You can always go back and refer to something to get um, a different look at it. Even in writing it, I've gotten such a new passion, a renewed passion for everything because now I revisit things, or I, I work on things from a total different mindset. Just on kind of relearning the basics. That here I am, twenty years later, and am and am trying to apply things in it from a different a different perspective. Or I think about, like I said, the twenty year old me who was thinking about going to audio school or had an interest in it. I now have something that I can invest in for you know a, a, a penny. As to as, as opposed to what it would cost to go to a recording school, you know what I mean. Um, and so I, that that's my approach. If anybody is interested in? It, and if, let's say you you're thinking about doing. I mean, because everybody, if you're in media, you need sound, right? So you think about film, TV, live sound, um, studio, um, uh, uh, game design, like all of that requires engineers. Those voiceovers that's on. That's on um, the new Grand Theft Auto. It took somebody sitting in the studio and recording that. You want to do podcasts, audiobooks, radio. Like, I mean, it goes every time you hear something, there was some sound engineer who developed some software or made something that works for that. This is a good place for you guys to start. Um, cool. you can find it, you can find it on my website, uh airhustlinmedia.com. Uh, you can also find it uh, on Amazon, both the physical and the ebook. Um I'm planning on releasing a hard copy pretty soon for those who don't like paperback. Um, hmm. And I've gotten a couple of DMs about uh, an audiobook. because there's so much like graphic information in there that I want you to see. I'm thinking about how I can make it a good audiobook experience. So cool. that, that'll be coming up next. And then the next one oh, is, is really what I'm, I'm like, this really got my gears going. As to how I was I'm just
0: about to ask paperbacks. that,
2: will this be a part two of this book? Yeah, so I do want to make it a series, and in my series, it'll go from this to an advanced AR recording, and then from there, my master class, which um, uh, I'm looking to do the AR one this year, release it next year, and then the master class is going to be – I don't even want to go into it. It's going to be something special. We'll hold that off for the next time. We'll hold
0: that off
2: for the next time, right? Yeah, yeah, Definitely.
0: So where can we find you on social media or where can people reach out to you if they have questions or just want to follow you to get the tips? Sure.
2: sure, so you can reach out to me on Instagram. You can go to Briz, B-R-I-Z-Z underscore air underscore hustling. Um, you can also go to air hustling the book on Instagram and you can do air hustling um, Air Hustling book on Twitter. Um, and you can ask me anything you guys want Anytime I answer, I answer most DMs, comments. I answer everything. It's I get a lot of people asking me questions. Hey, bro, how do you, you know, I got the sample hair. Can you listen to it? What do you think I should do and stuff like that? I'm so happy to give up that information because I would have wanted somebody to do that for me. So that, that anywhere, dope. you know, you could definitely reach out to me. That's
0: dope. So we want to thank you, Bridge, for being on the show today. Um, we're so, this was a great conversation. I know Jay yeah. was dope. So, I'll let you man. have it. I had <laughs>
1: let you have uh, the run at it day. We'll have we'll have another conversation off camera because I just I'm just curious about other yeah stuff, man. No, this is very very informative. <laughs> like I love music and like the yeah. fact that yeah. we have that's been in the industry and done done their thing like. I, I love it. So thanks for coming on, man.
2: No, thank you for having me, guys. This is great. Great questions. Great platform. Thanks for letting me talk. I know I can ramble on, So I really appreciate it. <laughs> <Thanks for laughs> no, we, that's, what, that's what we
0: love about it. We love people who come in and are passionate about what they do. That's the whole purpose of, you know, Learn ReLive. We want to talk to all the movers and shakers who are, you know, the expert in their area. And sometimes we just like to talk to to people who are doing things that not everyone wants to talk about. So this is definitely something that we wanted to touch on. And you guys, we want you to go and make sure you are following Briz on his, all his social media platforms, as well as following us on Lauren v Live, um, on uh, Twitter, also on so, um, Instagram. All of our handles, they're right here in the box. Also, make sure you guys are following waterice.com. We are your scoop to everything Philly. We have a really huge announcement coming up that I am really, really excited about, that I personally um, is my baby, and I'm excited to bring it back. And Jay's smiling because he knows it's been like a long (laughs) time coming, but it's coming back and I'm excited about it. So please stay tuned to that. Uh, Make sure you guys are going to the website and signing up for our newsletter so you know everything that's going on in the area. Jay, am I missing anything?
1: Uh, Just follow WorldRocks.com. You just go to everything filling on all the social media platforms, uh, our, our merchandise and apparel. Uh, stay tuned for more stuff like that yep. um, and yeah I mean just you know follow us you'll yeah. you'll you'll stay in tune to everything
0: and we'll be back and this is we'll be back next uh, in a couple of weeks with another guest uh, we have some really good shows lined up uh, for this season uh, of the Lauren Relive show so I'm really excited about it and again thank you birds for coming on to the show My and you guys
1: way.
0: you know how we end this show always Jay please help me out not all superheroes wear capes but sometimes
1: they wear headphones
0: Thank you everybody. Have a
1: <laughs> have a good night. I had to take mine out they died. <laughs> <laughs>